Hello and welcome to Transposition, the official podcast of the multi-genre literary journal, Exposition Review. I'm Laura Rensing, stage and screen editor with Exposition Review, and I'm here today with Edwin Bodney, who not only has been published in our issue, but has been a Flash 405 judge and one of our interviews in our Orbit issue. Edwin is an L.A. native and co-host of one of the largest poetry venues in the nation, the Poetry Lounge. A nationally recognized poet, he's performed his work for an array of organizations like USC, UCLA, Lexis, TV One, All Deaf Digital, and Button Poetry. In 2016, he officially published his first book titled A Study of Hands with Not a Cult Press. Through his work, both on stage and in classrooms facilitating workshops, he hopes to transform his community in such a way that no one forgets their joy in the midst of all of their healing. I'm also very excited that today we'll be joined by the amazing C.D. Eskelson, our poetry editor at Exposition Review. Listen in as Edwin reads his poetry piece from our Orbit issue, Prominence. Prominence. Before the Depression, my father and I were fine. We talked, we laughed, we shared the invisible thread of a lost child tugging his way home. A year ago, we were wound so tight within our own flood, an entire room said, drown, and each body became a raft. I had never been told, I love you, and heard, you are safe. My father drives trucks, lives an entire life inside a highway, cinches the waste of a whole country, does not bring us closer. I haven't heard my father's voice in months. I haven't seen him in, well, longer than that. My father is driving, I imagine. I am a satellite. I am artificial, asked to follow what I cannot feel. Last week, a woman who claims to have a child by my father sent me an email. Their daughter wants to meet me. She's eight. I retain and ignore all of it. How does a body pass slow, full and carried by celestial ovation? How do you produce a new moon, gape your mouth as if you've never seen light? Somewhere in the cinched waste of a country, my father's diseased heart might deny its solar charge, might explode into a light so warm it feels like a final home. I will watch from a rooftop my arm will not reach long enough to pull him back. I may be the last to know. Thank you for such a lovely reading of your piece. I was really excited to hear it out loud because one of the things that really struck me when I was reading this the first time is how physical it is across the page, or like the screen rather, if you're reading it on exposition reviews, slashes, the long lines. And one thing I was wondering is, how you approach like translating it into like an auditory format or how did you think about how you wanted to take what was on the page to sort of speaking or reading it out loud? My auditory interpretation of it is one that I want to try my best to sort of convey a feeling of orbiting considering that was the theme of it and so I also played around with a bunch of different formats on the page but then decided that I would have these sort of like long blocks of text and then I'd have these shorter which were kind of like these orbiting bodies that give you deeper clarity into what the previous larger body means. 
this sort of tethered satellite, right? Like AI even blatantly tell you that at some point. And so in reading, like I make sure that I want these distinct pauses between those larger blocks of text and the smaller blocks of text, just so that you know we're kind of making this leap into something else, but not out of reach, if that makes sense. I want it to not only like read as this orbiting thing, but also to feel that way in the sound of it. I definitely got that feeling from your reading of it. Looking at it and following along, it really stands out. The element of the poem that I thought was really good at capturing that tension was like that physical space on the page between like the shorter and the longer sections. And sort of just tying that to the title of the piece is prominence, which one definition is fame or importance, but then also there's like the astrological phenomena of the hot gas coming out of the sun. You'd mentioned there are other ways you approach doing it. I'm curious about those. Did you feel like they weren't getting at that? Or like, how did prominence become the way of approaching it? CD, I have no idea. This was like two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And and we've lived a lifetime in January at this point. I mean, you touched the two main definitions for prominence and my line of thinking was something more aligned to the second one. So the astronomical, it being, you know, this feature of suns or stars, if you will. I thought about, okay, if I'm going to give away the theme in the title itself, then I want something that is universal, not as in like general, but as in like, as pertaining to the universe. And also thinking about the image and the occurrence of the phenomenon of prominence is this flare, this sort of looping structure that appears from this larger body. And so again, just going back to this idea of what is it to satellite something, right? What is it to reach out to something new and beyond, but still be tethered to the main source? And so then my writing operates the same way in a lot of ways, like in this piece specifically to talk about my relationship with my father, to go into myself is to go into the life of my father. I am an act of prominence as someone who is tethered to that because I don't exist if he doesn't. To be something that is this brilliant light that exists also beyond that source. And so that was my thought process behind, okay, this is what I can create. Yeah, I was really excited to hear kind of like where the title came from because- I do remember that. Speaking of bodies, a line I really love in this poem is sort of that question that is posed by the speaker of how does a body pass slow, full and carried by celestial ovation? It really makes me kind of think of another poem from A Study of Hands where you ask, does a body mean you are somebody? Because it is sort of between the two poems and then throughout kind of all of A Study of Hands, I've noticed mm-hmm. sort of there's this fluidity assigned to bodies or this untethering that's sort of going on. So I'm curious, where do you see the role of bodies or embodiment in your writing? What does it mean to have a body? <laughs> that kind of answers the question, right? Like, it's something that I come back to often, obviously, like you've already referenced my book of work, but it's an image that I come back to often because I have such a complex, and I think many of us do, have such complex relationships with not only other bodies, but with our own body. Almost sort of this like push and pull of being grounded and also like existing outside of oneself at the same time. And I don't have a clear meaning for it. I'm always wondering what is a body? It's both physical and ethereal. And it is something that saves me and fails me at the same time. 
And so I'm always really curious about looking into that relationship. And so that's kind of where I land on it. If you want to be more like astrological with it, I'm also such a Taurus. (laughs) Makes sense. A lot of my relationship with the world is very physical. I'm a really strong observer of the physical world around me. A lot of things just come back to the imagery of stuff, right? Like it comes back to like, what is the tangible? And like, what does this feel and smell like and taste like? And all of these things that are just inherently important and have always been really important to me. I didn't realize until I began a relationship with writing, which at this point now, it's been like 16 years. Awesome. The Zodiac is informative of... That image. I can see like the, it's sort of like the physicality of like an earth sign. Because yeah, like one thing I thought was really interesting, just kind of staying with bodies a little bit, is that throughout like, a study of hands, and also that happens here in this poem, is the sort of like confluence between body and place. Mm-hmm. Like with the line, like the cinched waist of a country, like personifying the root for the trucking that the father does. And then there's sort of like this reversal throughout a study of hands where the body becomes a meadow or the body becomes the wind. So I think it's very interesting that there's these physical elements of the earth that are kind of assigned to the body in your pubs. You're not the first person to (laughs) the relationship between like body and the physical environment and how they kind of alternate between one another. And I like it. (laughs) Other than, yeah, like you've identified something that has become one of the clearest voices of my work is how do we make the body into something else? but into something else that serves us. Hmm. I'm glad other people have brought it up before because it was something kind of like throughout reading the collection, I was finding throughout the poems and thought was really striking this through line throughout it. And then you sort of mentioned the idea of like taking something and becoming something else, which is another thing I found really striking about a study of hands is because the first piece that we get is this anatomy diagram of a left hand where you've sort of swapped out the labels of like the different bones and sort of put your own lines in. My favorite one is the one where it says where my love ran out because it's sort of like, again, this idea of place in the body. So you're sort of transforming the body into a place. Curious where the idea for that one came from. I definitely remember my book, CD. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't want to stretch you too thin. (laughs) Um, Funny enough is that I didn't even come up with the title. I have a background in visual art and design before creative writing. And then now my whole life has become creative writing. Like now I teach the shit. (laughs) (laughs) If you would ask me this, like even 10 years ago, I would have never said, yeah, that's my life. That's what it's going to look like in 2020. But uh, Jessica, actually, funny enough, if you can't tell, we are best friends. (laughs) Um, She actually mentioned that in an Instagram comment, because I posted an actual study of hands that I had drawn some years prior. So I was kind of just digging through stuff and I was like, oh, look at this. This is when I was all about like anatomy and the body. And it's so funny because I've always been like everything now that I think about it. CD, you've kind of just like unlocked some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's a free therapy (laughs) session from uh, CD. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need a stiff drink after this. So I was in the world of fashion design before I fully committed to the world of writing and educating. And so it's interesting, like my whole life now that I think about it has really revolved around the physical body. But I was looking through stuff and I I found this hands and I posted it on Instagram that my caption was a study of hands. And Jessica was like, you should title your book that. And then I said, well, if I ever get to the point of writing a book, 
then it's definitely high up on the list because hands are something that have always been intriguing to me for many, many reasons. And I kind of uncover a few of those in the earlier poems of the book. And of course, throughout the entire narrative. But yeah, so once I was presented by Nauticult with the opportunity to publish my book, I was like, let's just go with it. And so it took me a while to find the dorsal image exactly as I wanted it. And I think I even had to do some like Photoshop stuff because it was super pixelated. And so I finally got that, but I chose the left hand because my father's left-handed. And the ex-partner that I talk about in the book is also Mm left-handed. And so I chose that specifically and then said, okay, I have to have this included somewhere in the book because again, it's necessary for me to be both visual and both storyteller, right? Like I'm someone who kind of wades in the middle of both of those worlds. And initially the book was gonna be poems and photographs or visual works of art of varying images of hands. And then I said, well, I'm already overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) Step back and then I said, well, no, let's just make this one a full just manuscript of poetry itself. I'm satisfied if this initial poem is this left dorsal image of a hand and then I'm going to splice out some of the labels and put in a poem, if you will because they are all together at some point. And then I took it apart. Like I took the one stanza apart and put it throughout. And I still have a whole like Google Drive because I had a photographer at my book release. I have a whole Google Drive of pictures of hands of the people who went to the book release. Wow, that's so cool. Of course, you know, their own option. But I had them afterwards when I was signing books, I would sign one and then I'd say, no, get a picture of your hands taken and then you're released to the world. So I still have this like catalog of pictures I want to do something with and don't really know what yet. <laughs> wow. That's a really interesting idea. When you go to get a book signed is bluntly putting it as like you're taking something from the author and that you're taking their signature, but sort of giving something in return. And like a hand is the thing you sign a book with or write a book with. Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice exchange. It was definitely that. I'm giving you all of this. And so this is what I ask of you. I can't wait to see what you make of it. I'm sure when the time comes, you'll have that aha moment. Just like you had the title waiting for the book, like there'll be something that will be like, this will be perfect. And I've already got all the hands ready. Absolutely. It was funny. There was one brainstormed idea that was kind of floating around for a while. It was like, I was going to just create these sort of like mobiles of the varying images of hands and have them hanging around the book release. And then now I kind of have like settled on, I don't know what to do and possibly maybe it'll just be like a nice table book. (laughs) And it might just sit in my Google Drive because many things sit in my Google Drive. (laughs) Yeah, it's such an interesting concept, an exchange idea, bringing Mm -hmm. that to readings. Very exciting, yes. I was very excited about the dorsal image also because I am left-handed. So the representation of that hand is very cool. I'm going to jump in. And when I had no idea you were a fashion designer before this, because I know you as a poet, as a writer, you're a bit of an expo all-star. You've been a judge for us. Uh, (laughs) We've interviewed you for our issue, but like, I had no idea about this side of you. Can you talk about some of these other pursuits and like how you came to writing through it all? Yeah. Like 2008, Edwin was a whole different person. (laughs) Like I don't even remember that person. In my early childhood, I was someone who was like, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor. Really? Um, Yeah, I was going to be a pediatrician. And then I kind of had a moment like junior year of high school and I was just like, I don't want to do med school. Like, I don't want to be a doctor. And mainly it was, I don't want to do 12 more years of school at least. I was about to say, better you found it out in high school instead of halfway through. You know, being like a resident, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, than being like med student or whatever. But so funny enough, FIDM came and did a school visit, of course, just general recruitment. And I, of course, fell for it all. Um, and I was like, this is what I want to do. This is way better than med school. <laughs> way, way better. Like, this is great. And I remember like my fashion class rooting me on and it was just like, Edwin's going to be somebody. It was that kind of thing. Started down that rabbit hole of fashion design world and got graduated in 2010. I worked for a couple of different entities, but one was a theater costume designer I worked for. And I became sort of like this person who did like all these prom dresses for high school seniors. And then I was also manufacturing these like knockoff frozen capes. <laughs> <laughs> Wear store in Century City. So I was like doing a bunch of stuff. And then that world kind of fell apart for me and I lost the passion and drive behind it all when the incidents in a study of hands occurred. So when, when I was in my circumstance with my ex that became domestic violence, it kind of just all fell apart from there. I mean, I still have tons of fashion things and books and stuff with me. But once I kind of survived that, I didn't look back at any of it really. And then that's when I redirected my attention back to education. That was something that I had gone back to school for when I moved out of state and then kind of didn't do anything with it. And then I started working for an organization here who they're no longer active, but I worked for an organization where I was teaching poetry and performance in high schools all across Los Angeles. Hmm. And then from there, it kind of just like took off and I kind of became more intentional about that work. And then I realized, oh, I really, really love being an educator. Now I work for USC, funny enough. Fight on. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I work for USC through another agency, but I work as a prevention educator and a campus advocate for the queer community and their LGBTQ student body. But yeah, I came from the fashion world and have dipped in and out of it, but it's something that is still near to my heart, but it's not something that I want to do as a career anymore. I love that because, I don't know, I feel like a lot of times with artists, there's this idea of, you know what you want to do and you go after it and then you get a book published when the reality is, is I feel like every artist I talk to has a meandering path to get there. And mm -hmm. it, it's with a lot of confusion and vulnerability and things that feel like setbacks at that time that you don't realize are actually just seeds planted for something you don't know is growing in, for the future. Yeah. So thank you for being so open about that whole journey. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are many people across the world who, who have some of the hardest things in my life in their hands on their bookshelves. So for me to recoil at anything else at this point is not true for me. It's obsolete. I can talk about anything because I've survived so much. Oh, I am 1000% transparent. I'm see-through. So just <laughs> ask away. Sort of circling back kind of or connecting a city of hands again to prominence is they both sort of speak about, about your father, the speaker's father and that tension in the relationship. One of the poems that speaks to this idea of repetition or revisitation is that ain't that what being a poet is, writing about the things we swear we're not going to write about anymore. Mm -hmm. What do you think of like the role of revisitation or re-examining our relationships is in writing? I think about it the way I think of like juicing a fruit, right? I think about, did I get all this stuff out? Like, did I get all of the stuff out that serves me? And so I think that in many ways, of course, as artists and as writers and all of the ways in which we can produce and create, revisiting is necessary. And that leans also into like my point of why I write at all, because I'm somebody who 
in the rest of my life values efficiency. And so I'm really intentional. I mean, as the Taurus I am, I'm really intentional. We're not lazy people. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have time for bullshit. I'm really intentional about where I put my energy and I'm really like efficient. And so everything is always like, okay, how can this be seamless? Like, how can I make this happen as quickly, but as at its highest capacity as possible? And so like I write because my initial relationship with or introduction to writing allowed me to discover that it gave me the power to stop time because I'm usually so efficient otherwise. And of course, there's still efficiency in poetry because you have an economy of language that you have to be mindful of. And that also kind of still leans into like me getting what I want. But at the same time, it allows me to stop everything else from moving. So that way I have the opportunity to revisit everything that happened. I love that so much. That's beautiful. But I never really thought about it as like actually stopping time. So that's such an interesting thought. It's like you stop time, you write a piece and it creates like a capsule and then time moves around it. The other secondary point, but it's also kind of the primary point because this is like kind of what I teach to a lot of my students or to a lot of people who participate in workshops that I facilitate is that, and this also leans into the title of the workshop that I facilitate now called Close, and that comes from just the statement that I usually make of of getting closer to the nerve. And I always say, get as close to the nerve as you can without damaging that, because we still have a purpose for the nerve, right? Like the nerve still has a function. And so without severing that, how do you get close enough to examine it without losing it? that also leans back into this revisiting. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna go closer to this nerve and I'm gonna closer and like this time I went this close. And the next time I decide that I wanna write this, I'm gonna move even closer and let's see how close I can get to without betraying myself. That's so important too, because I feel like there's this push in art to like destroy yourself in order to create compelling artwork. And I've never been a fan of that. And I kind of love that like, there's still ways for you to be vulnerable, but still be kind to yourself. So I think your way of revisiting is a really healthy way to do that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we know we live in like a wild world. I mean, that's to, to put it nicely. And yeah, and there's that tortured artist trope, right? And in some cases, sure, that serves artists and it it serves audiences or the ones who are on the receiving end of that work. But at the same time, you shouldn't come out of it more damaged than you started. Absolutely. I would hope not, right? Like my my work is not only to stop time, but to give myself that time to heal, right? It seems like with the idea of like the nerve and the closeness with revisitation, it's less about time as a construct and more about like proximity because you're getting closer and closer really interesting yeah you're sort of able to like heal or process things by getting closer to them over time it's kind of like an asymptote where you're getting closer and closer to the thing itself yeah very cathartic very cool talking about the trajectory of, kind of how you got here going through kind of different worlds uh, one thing i'm always really kind of interested in finding out from like other writers and authors is like what non-literary sources you draw inspiration from like reality tv shows magazines Definitely food and color, because I have a really intense relationship with food. And that stems from my grandmother. And it's highlighted in a poem in the book. It's one of the recalls. But that was kind of one of the first places I saw more than just what was present be conjured, you know? Like, it was like, there's more to it than just us eating this meal, like whatever it is, right? 
And so that kind of has always stuck with me. So I always think about like that in context of just like shared experience. And then color, like I'm super just like a fan of color everywhere. I mean, you wouldn't tell by my apartment because it's all white, black and gray. But I, but I am such a fan of just how vibrant the world can be. And so, and this is also evident in the book, like just like my relationship with men in general of all kinds and whether they be intimate or not, that fuels a lot of just how I experience the world and how I navigate my work. I'm somebody who like lives in a perpetual state of nostalgia because there are a lot of memories that like I just wish I could return to in my childhood and just in my life in general. And it's so funny because I think the writer Nate Marshall, he has something that I kind of, that stuck with me. Because nostalgia is also this really like amorphous entity, right? Like you're just like, where is it? Where does it come from? How do I grab hold of it, you know? And so what was really, really profound for me, I, like it was like he tweeted it as if it was just like some regular shit. You know, <laughs> But he was just like, yeah, my nostalgia lives in what I love. Like, I am in love with everything I've ever loved. Mm. And I was just like, oh, it's that, that moment as an artist or as a writer, you're like, damn, you got there before I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I am tremendously in love with everything I've ever been in love with. And it just puts me in a deep, deep hole of like melancholy and nostalgia forever. <laughs> To kind of go back to the point of this like tortured artist thing, it's also just like me navigating or observing the vibrancy of the world is also a reminder of my joy, right? I tell people all the time, like, remember that too. Don't stop time for the things you need to heal from. Also stop time from the moments that you need to hear from, you know, that you might forget about because we are fully multi-dimensional human beings who exist on every plane and we deserve all of it. Oh, very well said. So yeah, last question. Is there anything you want to promote? It could be your own work. It could be an organization you care about or work for or anything that makes you feel happy or joy right now. Well, of course, like whoever is listening, like, keep donating or showing support for any like trans fund that's out there, any like black, queer, indigenous, all of that, of course, like I am absolutely an advocate for every vulnerable population that there is, especially in the year of 2020, where shit just keeps getting set on fire over and over and over again. And so absolutely that. I do have my workshop that is being facilitated via Zoom. We've now gone to a bi-weekly schedule that's every Monday at 7 p.m., you can find information on the Not A Cult website under the calendar tab. It should be there. And if you have any questions or you want the Zoom information for that, then just shoot them an email. They're usually pretty good about responding. I have a really wonderful and beautiful cohort of about 20 to 30 people every week. And again, that's Monday nights. We have a really good time getting closer to ourselves and our work. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being here. This has been so much fun. I had a great time tonight with you both. You can read Prominence along with Exposition Review's 2018 interview with Edwin in our Orbit issue, which is free online. Edwin's book, A Study of Hands, published by Not Occult Press, is available through Bookshop. We've got that link there in the podcast description. 
Also want to give you a heads up that submissions for our volume six are now open. I'm really excited about this year's theme. So be sure to go online and check it out and submit to us. CD, who you heard on our podcast today, is the poetry editor. I am, of course, stage and screen editor, and we'd love to read your work. In the meanwhile, thank you for listening. Good night and good read. Thank you to Alexander Blue for our intro and outro music, and thank you to our donors that have made it possible for us to pay our authors. Exposition Review is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas, so your donations are tax deductible. Find out more at www.expositionreview.com.